This episode is presented by Gorgeous. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. Gorgeous combines all of your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone, all on a one platform and gives you an organized view of all tickets. This saves your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. Book a demo at Gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com today and mention the Consumer VC podcast for two months free. Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you, Brian Riley, for the introduction to our guest today, Haley Rosen. Haley is the founder of Just Women Sports. Just Women Sports is the first media company solely focused on bringing women's sports directly to you. Haley is also quite the athlete. She was one of the top soccer recruits coming out of high school and played on the Sanford team as well as having a professional career. In this episode, you'll learn how Haley decides which type of content to produce, the opportunity she saw with Just Women Sports, and how she views the relationship between athlete and the media, plus much, much more. Without further ado, here's Haley. So Haley, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So I wanted to start from the very beginning. What was your initial attraction to soccer and sports? Oh, wow. We're going way back. (laughs) The way my parents describe it was I was like a hyperactive kid, always running around causing problems. So they put me in a bunch of sports. They put me in soccer and softball and dance and tennis and soccer is the one that stuck for me. I just loved it from a really early age, fell in love with the U.S. Women's National Team and Mia Hamm and just loved being outside and running around. That's awesome. That's great. It's great. And after your career in soccer, I mean, what led you to want to create a media company for women's sports and really still be connected to sports in general? Yeah, you know, for me, like it really was my experience in sports that led me to starting Just Women Sports. You know, when I was playing both in college and professionally after, I was just seeing the momentum. You know, I was seeing that we were selling out stadiums and that attendance was up and that, you know, hearing that viewership was up, seeing that we were getting new sponsors sort of week over week and just seeing all this momentum in the space. And then When I stopped playing, I came back to the Bay Area. I was working at a tech startup and I wanted to follow along. I had friends that were still playing and teams I cared about, coaches I was close to. 
and I couldn't do it. And I was someone who was actively seeking this out. You know, I wanted to see the scores and I wanted to watch the games and I wanted to know who was overperforming or underperforming. And that information was nowhere. And that made no sense. It didn't map to the momentum and the excitement and the opportunity I had saw when I was playing. And so that is really what led me to starting Just Women Sports. I was just like, this makes no sense. I can't believe this doesn't exist. I know I'm not the only one that wants something like this. Like, let's go solve it. So really as a fan perspective, then you saw really what like a pain point was that you actually couldn't, you didn't really have the access that you wanted to. You were able to see the games that you wanted to, or even see like player interviews or really like, like connect with the athletes as well. Yeah, I mean, like barely even see the highlights. I was a fan of the sport, you know, like I wanted to see the on-field moments. I wanted to see, you know, who was at the top of the leaderboard, who was, you know, racking up goals and assists. You know, I had friends also, you know, not just in soccer in the WNBA or um, playing tennis, like, you know, across sports. And it was just really hard to be a fan. And that was just odd to me. And it was also weird, you know, when I was first starting and the idea was to cover women's sports, so many people asked me, you know, What's your innovation on media? What are you going to do differently? And for me, it was like, I, I think we need to like, just do what's been working on the men's side, right? Like there's a whole formula that's been applied to sports for a long time, but for some reason, we're not applying it to women's sports. And all I'm seeing is lifestyle and content that feels very young or content that feels very focused on diet and all the things that weren't sports. And I was like, I know these women are dope athletes. I know I'm not the only one that cares about the on-field, on-court, you know, play, where is this? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And it's funny too, because I feel like sometimes when it comes to building a company, it's thinking like, okay, well, like what's like the innovation behind this? And it's like, well, actually, this is just a market that's super underserved. And these are actually people that actually cannot get access to and highlight reels that I just can't see. And so that is a real opportunity there. Is that roughly correct? A hundred percent. And I actually think that was one of the hardest things to sell in the early days of just women's sports because people weren't buying that there was this interest in women's sports. And that was crazy to me too, because we had the receipts to back it up. You could see the percentage growth year over year. You could see all these numbers going up and up and up. For whatever reason, it, is, it hasn't been until the last few months that people have really bought in and seen the growth in the space. So of women's sports, what are the major sports that are maybe growing at the fastest rate and maybe some as well that you think um, are still quite young or does it maybe have as uh, maybe robust as a fan base, but you think that has a lot of potential? I mean, I think there's just like endless potential in women's sports. Like I think that's like the new frontier for sports generally. Women's soccer is huge. That's the fastest growing sport, both in participation and viewership and all of that. Uh, women's basketball, the WMEA. WNBA has just done a phenomenal job. Obviously, the LPGA, the WTA has done phenomenally well. But there's sports like volleyball. You know, volleyball is the second highest in participation, and we still don't have a full-time professional volleyball league in the U.S. And so, like, there's a lot of disconnect in women's sports like that that I think is just low-hanging fruit. It's low-hanging opportunity in the sports space. That's really interesting about volleyball. When do you see like a volleyball league coming into play? Has there been any kind of chatter around that? Yeah. So we've seen Athletes Unlimited, you know, they're a, a shoulder league and they have a, a shortened season and they have a different format, which I think is really interesting and exciting. They have volleyball, softball, lacrosse now. And so they've had their first volleyball season. And as far as I know, that went super well. There are talks of a, you know, a full 
season volleyball league coming in the next couple of years. And I think that makes a ton of sense. There is beach volleyball, there's the AVP and that league does very well. And there's a lot of excitement and progress happening there. It's really that full-time indoor league that we haven't seen. Got it. Got it. Okay. So the, the indoor league is still something that still has yet to develop and actually come into play. Yet to develop, but I think is coming very soon. Very cool. Very cool. So when thinking about starting a media company and you were thinking about, you know, starting just women's sports, what type of content were you thinking about first starting with? Because of course, content wise, you could do so much. There's so many different platforms, so many different things you could do. What was the first piece of content that you think, you know what, this is actually very actionable, then people can really follow along and maybe actually might not be too intensive because it also might serve as like a test. Yeah. So actually how the company started was an Instagram account. And I started reposting women's sports highlights, the highlights that I thought were cool. And I put, you know, the way I would react to them, I just started reacting to them. I didn't try and make it towards a younger demographic. I didn't try and make it inspirational. I just reacted like I would if I was in the locker room watching film, you know? And that's what started the account. Like my personal Instagram, it's a sorry site, like very few followers, I'm none of that. But, you know, this account went from zero to 20,000, like very quickly, like I think within two months, something like that. And for me, that was the proof point. That was a validation that like, okay, that my hypothesis was there's more people interested and we're seeing really quickly that there is more people interested. And so that's really what got me started on the whole journey. What was then next? What type of content did you want to produce in order to maybe have a more direct relationship with your audience? So the real story is that after we had this initial success with the Instagram, I made a lot of mistakes. And <laughs> one of the things I really wanted to hear more of was just like true women's sports stories. You know, I knew when I was playing, like there was all these amazing stories of, you know, women that became a mom. And then nine months later, they were competing in the World Cup. And like that training and the mental toll and all of that, I thought was just so interesting and exciting. And so we actually spent this period of time really trying to share like women's sports stories. And that didn't really work. And what we had learned is basically we would share these amazing stories and people would be like, wait, NWSL? What's NWSL? Like Washington Spirit? Like, is that softball? Is that basketball? And the learning there was like, wow, there's just a lot of world building to do. And so off of that, we kind of regrouped and uh, like built out a game plan and officially launched the company early 2020. And in the thesis then, and still the thesis today is, you know, we had to world build, we had to build the infrastructure. So people needed to know like the basics, like what the leagues were, when the games were happening, how to watch, how to tune in. You know, they needed the stats and the score lines. Like really that basic infrastructure just didn't exist in the women's side. So we had to go and solve that. Part of that too was we felt like we couldn't just be any one platform. We needed to take a distributed approach. So we needed to go out and reach people where they were. We needed a newsletter. We needed Instagram. We needed Twitter. We wanted the podcast. We needed a website for deeper content. Like we didn't feel like we had the luxury to focus on a single medium. We had to really be, you know, across channel to build the world and build the storytelling. And really that's continued to be the thesis that like build the infrastructure, build the world, and then you can just build and build and build on top of it. But we almost had to sort of educate this whole new demographic of people that were coming to women's sports. That's fascinating. So you really wanted to just build lots of different types of media all at once, which is 
really a fascinating approach because we talk about in this show about focus and focusing on one specific channel. I mean, obviously you're very, very focused, but you went and actually looked at a number of channels and launching them quite quickly. What was it like launching all these channels in the middle of COVID as well? Or like the beginning of COVID since it was early 2020, right? The 2020 brutal, brutal year. But in terms of sports, you know, I think COVID gave women's sports opportunity and it gave us opportunity too, because when we first launched, we were two people and then three people and keeping up with the news cycle is really, really hard when you're a small team, but the sports world totally went on pause. And what that let us do is like really kind of get our feet underneath us and build out a strategy and build out, you know, the type of content we wanted to do. We didn't have to keep up with the news. We got the chance to kind of, you know, do interviews and feature that and cover what we wanted to cover, like kind of create our own rhythm to it. And I think that was really huge for us. And then in terms of, you know, women's sports, the NWSL was the first and only league back for a bit in the middle of COVID. That was in the summer. That was, they saw their viewership go up 500%. And the WNBA was the next league back and they saw their viewership go up, you know, it was like 68%. So there was just this huge amount of opportunity. And I think we had fortunate timing that we were able to sort of build with the leagues and take advantage of, you know, people wanting sports. There weren't a lot of sports and we could build with that. So I think like, you know, so much bad in COVID, but, you know, in terms of like kind of finding the bright spot, that was a positive that came out of it for women's sports. That makes a lot of sense. When I was thinking about COVID in your business, that was one of my hypotheses is that COVID actually maybe allowed you to catch up and build out the proper platform of having that, you know, two, three month break from sports. And then of course, I remember when sports came back on, it was women's sports that came back first, women's soccer, especially. And I remember everyone was just so thrilled that it was. Just have games, right? Just to have games. Exactly. I can imagine like the bump that it gave women as well for that. And then of course, the WNBA also came back um, uh, shortly after as well. I want to also know, how do you think about the relationship between the athlete and the media? Now we also have um, as well, a lot of athletes really not wanting to deal with traditional media. They are creating their own media companies as well to kind of get away from traditional media. What do you think right now is your sense of what's happening in sports? I think this is a really interesting question and it's something like we've thought about a lot. So a couple things. First is, you know, women's sports is 4% of media coverage. And actually, if you dig into it, like with the more mainstream sports networks, it's like 2%. It's really, really low. So I don't think it's a coincidence that most people can only name a handful of professional female athletes, right? Like they haven't gotten the attention. And when we say attention, we mean media attention. Like that is imperative to growing the space, to growing, you know, viewership, attendance, to growing the dollars, to, you know, really getting these women paid and getting them more opportunity. So it is, you know, it's a codependent relationship. If we want women's sports to grow, it needs more media. That's why we exist. With that being said, I think there's a ton of opportunity to rethink how we do media. The classic sort of media model is built for an age when these athletes didn't have Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. They didn't have a direct line to their audience and to their fans. And so that's something that we have to be really mindful of. So the question for us is, where do we exist in the new media environment and how do we work with athletes? And, you know, I think that's something we're actively trying to solve. And I'll tell you on the athlete side, I really believe, like I just said, that media attention is imperative to growing the space. I also think there's ways to do it that isn't 
pulling on the athletes. And I'm not 100% sure that we've solved that yet, but it's something we're really mindful of because we want it to be a symbiotic relationship. We wanted to, we know we both need each other to grow and build and survive. I can tell you it's very top of mind for us. When you think about just women's sports and you think about maybe interview style, doing like a piece, for example, on an athlete, what are some ways that you're able to connect with athletes? I think what's particularly unique and really helpful is that this is actually a company that started from a athlete themselves and in yourself. You know, you played um, soccer throughout your whole life and was a tremendous athlete. What do you think that some of your advantages are in connecting with other athletes and maybe how you help train employees too? Yeah, I'll tell you, like, that's why the Just Women Sports podcast is hosted by Kylie O'Hara on the U.S. Women's National Team. Snacks is hosted by Sam Mewis and Lynn Williams from the U.S. Women's National Team. And Tea with A and Fee is hosted by Asia Wilson and Nafisa Collar from USA Basketball. They're going to the Olympics. That was just announced today. And, you know, WNBA Rookie of the Year and Player of the Year. So we obviously think that's really an interesting lens. And we've seen, you know, with Kelly's podcast that, the conversations are really candid and honest and vulnerable and they can connect, you know, when, when Chloe Kim's like, you know, when you won a gold medal, like that's a really interesting conversation that I don't think we've heard a lot of. I think it's just different. I don't know that one is better or worse. And I think honestly, we need both. There's a reason that we have journalists, but I'm really bullish on that perspective. I love hearing that as a former athlete. And I think it's something we've been able to bring that's a little bit different. Yeah, no, I quite agree. I think that's a great point. I was never a good athlete. I was a pretty horrendous athlete, to be honest. I like tried to play tennis. That was like my sport, but I was not a good tennis player. But I would say if I was a good athlete, I could see that talking to other athletes who'd actually had been there and also understand how I would more likely get be able to become more vulnerable of what it's like in the moment. And maybe reveal things that, hey, I know this is not going to get twisted you know, or get spun or get misquoted or whatever, because um, this person's been in my shoes, right? And so I can understand that. I think you have done a terrific job in terms of the people that you have hosting the program. That's amazing. And so I do think that's certainly like a trend that you're certainly seeing. Well, I appreciate that. And I can just give you an example that's like an interesting perspective. I don't remember the interview. I think it was when Kelly interviewed Michaela Schifrin, but she asked a question of like, you know, when you won the gold medal, it was something like, was it crazy that they just scooped you up and like brought you right to media or something like that? Like you didn't, did you get a chance to hug your parents before you went to media? And it was a question that I would have never, we didn't put it on the, the outline. No one would have known to ask that except someone else who had won a gold medal and who had been there. And it led to this really interesting conversation around, yeah, it was like the biggest moment of my life. And I didn't even get a chance to like hug my parents before I was thrust into three hours of interviews. And I thought that was just an interesting perspective. And it's something that, you know, someone who had never been in that situation, we wouldn't have even thought to ask. So I do think it definitely lends just a different point of view and leads to interesting conversations. I think just my biggest takeaway sort of seeing everything that's been happening is just more empathy for everyone across the board. Like, like seriously, and I know that sounds maybe like a little bit of a cop-out, but you know, these athletes are real people. And that's like one of been my, you know, playing at a high level and doing all these interviews and stuff. There's just people that are putting their heart and souls on the line and they get up and they get down and they feel pain. Like, I think sometimes we can forget that as media. And I think on the other side too, we have amazing journalists that are, especially in women's sports that are putting their heart and soul into covering these women and, you know, trying to elevate the status of women's sports and covering women's sports, like sports, like really doing the hard work. 
And, you know, we need to also have empathy and respect for that work. So I don't know that I have a hard answer. I know that I don't think media and athletes are at odds with each other. I do not think that's right. And if that's where we're at, we should solve that. But I don't think that's where it's at. I think it's just little tweaks and just generally, yeah, just more empathy for humans. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you quickly, like the other side of that though, like, you know, from a interview perspective, you want that person right after they've won that gold medal because you want to hear the emotion and just the rawness. So like, that's the tension. Um, And again, I I don't have an answer of like the hard rule for it. But again, I think it is just the empathy. I know, obviously, you were a stellar soccer player. What were some of the lessons learned as an exceptional athlete that really actually made you an incredible CEO or entrepreneur? Hyping me up right now. (laughs) Um, Appreciate it. My biggest challenge in sports when I was playing sports was confidence. And, you know, I grew up in LA and I grew up watching great players like Lauren Chaney and Sydney LaRue at UCLA. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to be there. And I think even when I was playing in college and I was playing professionally, like, I think there was a little bit of a disconnect of not fully believing I deserved to be there and questioning if I was good enough. And I don't think that was the way to go about it. I had this tremendous opportunity in front of me and I was nervous and scared to mess up and afraid of mistakes. And I just don't think that's the way you can play sports or to play life or to play anything. And, you know, looking back, like, I wish that I would have figured out the confidence piece and I would have went in, you know, ready to take advantage of every opportunity, shaking off mistakes, you know, ready to fight and not be such a perfectionist and just let the little stuff go. And so I think for me and starting Just Women's Sports, when I first started, I had a very similar attitude. I took this sort of perfectionist mindset, afraid to make mistakes into the beginning of this company. And I made a very conscious decision in the very early days to let that go and to not play, you know, not to be on my heels, to play offense, to attack every chance, to get into it a hundred percent and put my full self into it. And I think that is my biggest lessons from sports. I think that was my ultimate sort of downfall in my athletic career. And it's a mistake I will never make again. I will always go forward a hundred percent. And I think that's not easy and it's something I still struggle with, but I think it's the only way you're going to ever do anything or break through to that next level is just fully believing and diving in. I think there's a really good takeaway in that the difference between perfectionism and going all the way or putting yourself totally 100%, because it sounds on paper, pretty similar things, right? If you're going to go 100%, you better be perfect. But in start, particularly in companies, if you try to be, if you're trying to start a business, being perfect, you're never going to get that business off the ground, right? I really appreciate the nuance that you provided. And also, I really love reading, letting go of being perfect, your article. That was, that was super, super cool. Yeah. Oh, thank you. No, I, I think that, I mean, I think about like, going back to the sports analogy, like I've had games where like my passing, like past completed were like 90, 95%. And I don't think those were my best games. They might've been closer to perfect. I might've turned the ball over once or twice. Then I had games where I turned the ball over way more, but I was attacking. I was creating, I was more dangerous. I was putting myself in goal scoring opportunities. And like, that's how you want to play. It's not about being perfect and connecting every pass. It's about attacking and making stuff happen. And that's my biggest takeaway. It's not comfortable being there, but I think that's where you got to live. 
why did you decide to fundraise and what was your fundraising journey like? Early days of Just Women Sports, we had talked about the Instagram account and I was in Silicon Valley and the first round of funding we raised was a pre-seed round. And that was actually pretty easy. Had my thesis on women's sports that it was really blowing up, that there was a ton of opportunity. I had a you know, small proof point and we pretty quickly raised a pre-seed fund. Off of that, you know, that launched the company. We had raised like $400,000, a small pre-seed, and that just got us going. And that let us sort of, you know, launch in 2020, build out, you know, Q1, Q2, very soft launch. Q3, we had officially launched with our podcast and just built momentum. Our fundraise process for our seed round was actually much more difficult. And that was interesting to me because at that point we had way more receipts to back it up. We had, you know, we had revenue, we had reach, we had been working with the top athletes in the world. There was so much momentum building in women's sports and we still just got a lot of pushback around, you know, the potential women's sports. How big could this really be? People were not bought into us not taking a lifestyle angle on women's sports. They had never seen that done before and didn't believe that would work. We're not by women for women. That's not our positioning. You know, we think women's sports is bigger than any one gender, that men and women will love women's sports and people were not bought into that. But we just stayed with it. We just kept going and kept going and kept going. And then once we got connected to the Will Ventures team, once we got connected to 35 Ventures, it just happened really fast. And I got to tell you, like, that was really cool, too, because so many no's and so many people that didn't get what we were trying to do and so much pushback on the positioning. And then once we connected to the right people, it was just done. It was just came together really quickly. And it was exciting and fun and just it was really validating. It was cool. That's awesome. Was there also pushback of you being a media company? Because I know I've had a lot of uh, VCs on this show and some of them say, you know, we don't invest in media. We're not interested in media. Was that also just in general, a pushback from VCs? Yes, 100%. Media company and women's sports. And, and I'll tell you too, like people were like, what's your innovation on media? What's your tech play? And for me, you know, the, the opportunity I saw here was, you know, ESPN in, in the 80s basically saw an opportunity in men's sports and they scooped up all the rights and they built this ecosystem. And ESPN today is a $50 billion company. The only place in sports where that type of opportunity and that size of opportunity exists is women's sports. And that's the opportunity we see with women's sports. We want to be that one-stop shop. We want to scoop up the media rights. We want to build the infrastructure. We want to build the world, you know, and that's what we want to do. That's what we're going after. And so for me, like I just media, hate it or love it. There is a huge opportunity to build a media organization around women's sports. So yeah, I mean, yeah. And a lot of VCs weren't interested in that. It's okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, I mean, it seems like you found like incredible partners with uh, Will Ventures and 35 Ventures. That's amazing. What's one thing that you would change about the fundraising process if you could? I didn't know what the fundraising process was. I didn't know the documents you needed. I didn't know what you needed on a deck. And like, listen, that information is available, but you don't know fully what it is until you get into it, until you get the feedback. And so like, for me, like I know once we go into our next fundraise, I know what we'll need. And I'm probably off because I've never raised a Series A. I've only done a pre-seed and seed, right? Like every round, it's the first time I'm doing it. But I think we have the right people now around us, like that I have that information and we have the resources to do that. But I think it's just about like just being way more organized about the process, which I think is hard because it happens really quickly. You get a lot of feedback really quickly. I think also too, for me, it's understanding that when you're fundraising, you cannot do your job internally. 
Like you need to have the infrastructure and the people in place to run the company and to keep it going because fundraising is a full-time job. And I think there was a period of time where I thought I could be an operator and a fundraiser. And that's just not true. Like you got to be full-time fundraising. So that's another thing that I'm aware of now as we go into our series A, if we have the people in the infrastructure to, you know, keep the company going when I have to step away to do that. Um, You know, in terms of the process, I think, I think there's a lot of pattern matching, which I think is interesting because I think the opportunity comes when people do something different. And sometimes I think that VC is actually not that well set up for innovation. So that's been something interesting to kind of see. I really liked your last point about how the opportunity comes when you see someone doing something different. I completely agree with you there. What's kind of next for just women's sports? What right now is the vision that we're going to see maybe up into the Series A and then also obviously beyond uh, the Series A in terms of how you actually see just women's sports conquering the world? Kind of said it before, but we want to be that one-stop shop for women's sports. So that means growing out our digital channels, pushing on our audio network. We want to get into premium content. And ultimately, we want the games. We want you to go to justwomensports.com, put in your name and put in your password and unlock the WNBA, the NWSL, the WTA, unlock this whole world of women's sports. And really believe if you get people coming, you know, tuning in every week, every day, you can build out fantasy, betting, these really robust agencies, everything we see on the men's side, we can go build on the women's side, but it starts with really high quality media coverage. So that's where we're at today. And for us, you know, this round of funding, it's not going to get us to that end vision, but it's a really critical step of building the brand. And when I say that, I mean three things. One is really high quality content. We want you to know and love women's sports, you know, just women's sports, what we do, what we create, the type of content we are. Two is expanding our reach. You know, we've been growing really quickly. Our engagement and growth rates are just crazy right now. We have to keep going. We have to keep pushing. We have to get bigger and faster. Then three is building infrastructure. Basic stuff like a scoreboard, you know, that you see on the top of most major sports media companies. They don't usually include women's sports. So let's go build that for women's sports or how to watch women's sports. That's like the number one question we hear of how do I watch this game? So building that type of infrastructure really critical in that race. And that's what we're really focused on right now. What's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? Uh, Steve Jobs book. Something that is really like has stuck out to me was his time at Pixar and like sort of the feedback they gave. And they had these really honest feedback sessions that they felt like led to these like really great movies. That's something we have very much incorporated at Just Women's Sports. Like we literally have feedback sessions something that is really like has stuck out to me was his time at Pixar and like sort of the feedback they gave. And they had these really honest feedback sessions that they felt like led to these like really great movies. That's something we have very much incorporated at Just Women's Sports. Like we literally have feedback sessions, like we stress transparency and honesty. And I think that's like really, really critical in making great content. And that's something I've pretty much directly took from him and his time at Pixar. And then on a personal level, I just love like Harry Potter and those types of books. I love fantasy. I love it being creative and all that type of stuff. So I'm a, I'm a little bit of a nerd like that. Love it. Love it. I, I think that you're the first person that actually mentioned the Steve Jobs books on the, on the show. So I think, so you're very... I'm sure you probably had people that like were more thoughtful in that answer, but that's just the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> what do you think is the number one book that's been mentioned? There's so many. I don't know. Uh, there's. I have so many on my desk right now that I like. Um, what is it? I'm curious. 
shoe dog. Really? Phil Knight story of Nike. It's it's probably like I've done now like 150 of these. I think it's probably been mentioned like 20 times, which is quite large. So um, yeah, that's that's the number one by far. Is there like a particular part of it that's mentioned? That's a very good question. People love the story, I think, of building Nike. And it's such an inspiring story of how he did it. I think that those, I'd have to go back and, and listen to to the reasons why. But I believe that like that's that's a big part of it. Just like this the story of like entrepreneurship. And it's so many times you don't think he's gonna make it, but he ends up obviously making it. And so I think that's that's part of the reason why people liked it so much. But what I'm trying to say. Haley, is you're very original because I don't think anyone's mentioned Steve Jobs yet. Uh, book, so you're 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 very original, <laughs> very original, and Harry Potter is certainly a must. <laughs> What's one piece of advice that you have for founders? I mean, I always say this, and maybe I sound basic again, but like, go for it. Like, I have so many people that I connect with, and you know, there's a lot of talks about prepping and planning, and I think that's really, really critical. But I think the biggest thing is just go for it. Like dive in with two feet. You see an opportunity. Like these, like the opportunity in women's sports is is right now. It is right now, and it is coming, and it will go. We have to go now. Like we do not have time to overthink or over strategize. Like the moment is now. We have this one opportunity to take advantage of it and make it what we want it to be and ride this momentum. And that's usually true of most of these ideas. And it just dive in with two feet and take the swing and you're going to make mistakes, probably less mistakes than me, but like you're going to make mistakes and there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs, but just go for it with, you know, your whole self, your heart, your soul, all your passion, everything you've got. Like that is my biggest advice. I love that. I love that advice. Haley, this has been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Haley. I hope you all enjoyed that one as much as I did. You can catch her on Twitter at Rosen Haley. I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone. 